0: Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. I count it as one of the greatest privileges of my life that I grew up in a house of prayer. And really what I mean is growing up in a household in which my parents prayed And as I think about it, there's probably nothing that's modeled more for me what a life walking with God looks like. Nothing that's stirred more of a hunger for God in my heart than what I witnessed at home. It was and is a habit for my parents. I'm just going to brag a little bit on them because they're they're going to be here speaking next week. So, it's just what they did. And I'm not talking about praying in prayer meetings. I'm not talking about those annoyingly long dad prayers before a meal when everyone's just dying to eat. <laughs> I'm not pray- I'm not talking about prayers of healing or deliverance. What I'm talking about is no matter kind of the public gestures of faith no matter the fact that everyone knew us as missionaries, no matter that we lived in community with people coming out of addiction and homelessness, no matter the sermons preached or the people counseled or the prophetic words given, because all those things in the long run can be performances. It was what I witnessed in my parents in the privacy of our home in the early hours of the morning, every single day. And what I saw was that my parents had a hunger for God. They had a hunger for God. And it was a hunger that made me hungry. And for me watching as a kid and into my teenage years to witness something that would cause a person to willingly wake up at five, six in the morning Not because they had to, but because they had a hunger. That impacted me. It made me hungry. And here's the stark truth that I open with this morning. The quality of your prayer life is the quality of your relationship with God. The conversation is the relationship. And so even as I say that, I bet most of us are like me in that you've sensed that hunger before. Maybe you're here and you've never sensed that hunger before, but many of us, we've been seeking God, walking with God for an amount of time, and we've sensed that hunger, and we know that we're, called to be people of prayer, and yet we find out prayer is actually quite difficult. Right? Prayer is hard. And so the other thing that this always you know, gave rise to in me uh, was, was on the one hand hunger, but on the other hand it was guilt. <laughs> because even though I wanted it, I could never seem to get into the habit of it. I could never just do it. And so I struggled for years into adulthood to develop a consistent habit. And so if that's you this morning as we talk about prayer, I just want to, before we get into this whole topic, I want to normalize that for a second. Prayer is difficult. But you know what? It's difficult it's challenging because it's actually getting us in tune with God Himself. It's the union between us and God is the goal and the, the, the essence of prayer. And so we saw in Sabbath practice over the last month that one of the things that makes this hard in our day and age is that we live in possibly the greatest era of human distraction that the world has ever seen. Just that black rectangle in your pocket is enough to ruin most of the healthy habits that you, you know, might want to have. (laughs) And so... We're facing these challenges of the modern era of slowing down, of focusing, of being with God in prayer. And we practice that in in Sabbath. And, And now we're going to start talking about this practice of prayer. And so the encouragement that I want to give you as we start off with this is that if you think of prayer and you realize that you struggle with it or you have a desire to grow in it, don't worry because you're going to be growing in it your whole life. You're going to be growing in this practice your whole life. And when you read the great masters of of prayer and spiritual disciplines throughout the centuries of Jewish and Christian history, all of them will say, I'm still a beginner. It's almost like the more I learn, the more I practice, the more I realize how much I have to learn and how much more there is to experience and discover of this union with God in prayer. So If you, up until now, have felt maybe guilt or heaviness, I just want you to release that because you're going to spend your whole life learning. So you might as well drop the expectation of becoming an expert and pick up the ability to just be real. (laughs) Just be real. So we're beginning our group practice of prayer this month. And so... We're a church, we pray all the time, we pray every week, we have prayer meetings, and yet what this is for this four weeks is carrying on our series that is not so much a sermon series but a practice series, practicing the presence, learning how to gain consistent habits and to grow because if we do, the promise is that we will be transformed, And how could it be anything other than that guarantee? Because if prayer is communing with the eternal living God, what else could it do but transform us? So there may be one or two of us here who are thinking, that's quite a promise. That sounds a little bit too good to be true. Well, what I want to say is, if there's even a piece of you that says, I wish that to be true. I want you to take these next four weeks and try it out. Test it out. Taste and see that the Lord is good, is what the Bible invites us to. So I want to invite you into four weeks of group practice of discovering more of prayer. No matter where you are on that journey, some of us have never had a consistent habit, some of us have had a habit for decades, but no matter where we are on that road, There's more to press into. So, this is a practice series. We're learning three disciplines from the life of Jesus that awaken us to the presence of God, not just in our gatherings, but in the fabric of our daily lives. I almost played with the subtitle of this series uh, of calling it Taking God Out of the Church. (laughs) In other words, not only expecting God's presence and his, his, his nearness as we gather with the saints for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but taking his presence into every moment of our actual daily lives. And so the idea is that we're learning to live like Jesus and experience the, the presence of the Father as Jesus did by practicing the habits of Jesus' life. And so this is learning by doing, not just by hearing. And then it's reflecting on what you've done. And so the only way to practice this really in a way that's transformative is to do it in the midst of close community, of small, accountable, caring groups of people who are also practicing with you. And so If you're just joining us this week for the first time or you're visiting, we've got groups. We're calling them practice groups that are meeting all around the Lehigh Valley in homes, in our campuses, in cafes, in different places. But they're meeting regularly to practice and then reflect together on how it's going and so I've heard story after story over the last month as, as we progressed in this of people who are finding these things, these simple exercises from the life of Jesus to be transformative. They're taking, I've, I've heard of breakthroughs in people's lives in, in various different areas. And so it's exciting to hear about those things. And if you haven't joined a group yet, this week is perfect because we're starting our second practice. Right. So you can go to our website, nc4.org forward slash practice and find out uh, where those groups are, and be able to join one. Okay, so our topic this morning is the first of four weeks on prayer, and we're talking about prayer as talking to God. Talking to God. Now, traditionally, we would call this prayers of petition, which is an old word to talk about asking for things, Even today, we use the word petition to kind of, you know, things that people sign to send to the governor or to the government to ask for a change, right? And so petitionary prayer is asking God for changes that we desire to see, whether it's for, you know, grace, whether it's for healing, whether it's for favor or whatever it is. This is pretty much the starting point for prayer for most of us. And so I've called this message Prayers of Ignition, Prayers of Ignition. So we want to look at prayer as practiced by Jesus. When you read the Gospels and you read these firsthand accounts of Jesus' life, of how he lived by his friends and, and close followers, his closest students, what you find is Jesus had a consistent pattern that he followed. You not only see him praying publicly, You see him going off to solitary places early in the morning, late at night, going off on his own and spending time with his father in prayer. And so one of the places that we see this is in Luke 11, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read this and just interject a couple comments. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. So we're thrown into the middle of this story of something that Jesus so often did. This is his consistent habit. And it says, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John John taught his disciples. And just on that note, I can't think of a time where the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to heal people. Jesus, teach us how to raise somebody from the dead. Teach us, t- teach us how to preach. Isn't it interesting? One of the things they do ask him is, Jesus, teach us how to pray. That's not often the first thing that we want to learn these days, is it? It's interesting. The people that knew Jesus best, that walked with him for three years, what they most deeply wanted to know was not how to do all this other amazing stuff. As amazing as it was, what they wanted was to know how to pray like him. And I think if I put myself in their shoes and also what I shared of what I experienced growing up, it's because I think they knew the power of what they saw him do publicly, miraculously, came from the consistency, the quality of his prayer life with his father. It came out of that. And so Jesus says to them in response, verse two, when you pray, say this. And if you're familiar with this, you know that he goes into the most famous and most often repeated prayer. We sang it this morning in one of our songs. We call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father And just notice, as Jesus introduces the prayer, he says, when you pray, say this. It's it's an imperative. He's he's giving kind of a soft commandment, and the you is in the plural. So this is not only when you individually pray, but when y'all pray, do it like this. Say this, in fact. All right, and then he goes on to deliver this world-famous prayer, and the, the prayer in its fullest form, the one we're most familiar with, is actually recorded also in the book of Matthew right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like the apex theologically. It's the center structurally of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the one that we're most familiar with. So I want us to to read from that one. And last year, just to mention almost exactly a year ago, we did a mini series, a four-week series on specifically the Lord's Prayer as a pattern of prayer. And so I'm not just rehashing that today, but if you do want to go deeper into kind of line by line, I encourage you to go on the website and find those messages on prayer. It's called how to pray. But what I want us to notice this morning is that this prayer is Jesus's response to the question, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And he responds by giving this prayer. So this is Jesus's teaching on prayer. This is his instruction. And when the disciples ask him how to pray, this is what he gives them. He gives them a prayer. He gives them a set prayer, right? A pre-made prayer. But it's not only a set prayer. We also find out it is a way to pray. It's a pattern of prayer. It's a tool, all right? And so it's a pattern for prayer which was used by Jesus himself. So I want to tell you, we're going to look at both of this prayer is a set prayer and is a pattern for prayer. So first of all, let's look at a pattern for prayer. And before we get there, I want to ask, this all begs the question, why does God want us to pray at all? If you think about it, God's all-knowing. We're not really informing of, him of anything, right? He's all-powerful. He just needs to think and the thing happens. So he doesn't exactly need us to cause anything. And so what is prayer about? Well, I think in the, the, the most basic fundamental sense, prayer is one of those most universal human actions. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, whether a person says they believe in God or whether they say that they don't believe in God, we somehow can't help to respond to reality and speak to it. You know, when the opposing team scores and you shout, why? As some of you will be doing this afternoon. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) What are we talking to? When we suffer and we ask questions, we're throwing it out there as if there's someone to listen and everybody does this. Whether we think of it as prayer or not, I think this is it's kind of this guttural response that comes out of the human experience. And so what I'm saying is prayer, by definition, it's an exercise in faith. It is an act of trust. The writer of Hebrews says that faith— requires, first of all, that we believe God exists, and secondly, that he blesses those who come to him, that he has good intentions to those who want to encounter him. And so prayer in faith, it's really the, the beginning of relationship with God. It's, the, it's the, the seed of having a relationship with God. And so God doesn't want us to pray because he's looking for our help. He's looking for our relationship. He doesn't want our help. He wants our hearts. And so it's common in church to hear prayer changes things. And it's true. But what I want to tell you is the thing that it changes is you. (laughs) And so the principle is this. Prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes us while God changes things. And I'm slightly overstating that just for the effect. But the point is that the central actor is God. It's his power, his wisdom, his love. And as we pray to him, he changes. Both us and things in the world. And so Isaiah 65, 24 says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And so the the beginning point is realizing God, God is not obliged to do anything that we ask him to do. And yet this beautiful mystery is that he wants to. I love the way Blaise Pascal, the famous scientist and philosopher, said it. He said, God has instituted prayer so as to confer upon his creatures the dignity of being causes. So by prayer, we have the just unbelievable privilege of collaborating with God, of working with him, of, of just the audacity of influencing his heart. So we share in God's causality through prayer. We get the opportunity to share in what he does and and his delight in creation and in the world and, and his plans. And this is the way that God loves to relate to his children. He includes us in the business of his kingdom. And so what I want us to do right now is to just pray this famous prayer together. So, would you just take a moment? If you're able to stand, would you stand with me now? I want to pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. This is drawing from the Matthew chapter 6 recording of this. So, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this is Jesus' paradigm for prayer. What we've just read what we've just recited, because many of us have this committed to memory. And what it is, is a set prayer that he both tells us to pray, but also gives us a map to follow in our own prayers. All right, so I want us to reflect just for a few minutes on on this as a pattern for prayer. And the first point that I want to make addresses our attention to that very first little word, our our Father. Even solitary prayer is to some measure a family experience. When you pray as a follower of Jesus, it means you pray from a place of belonging. You pray from a place of love and acceptance within the family of God. You're not praying In order to reach that status, you're praying from the security of that status. So we're not lost spiritual orphans throwing a message out into the into the cold universe. We're as kids. And we're part of a family of brothers and sisters around the globe today and through throughout history that have called his name. And so when we pray, we're not solitary or alone. It's never just God and me. He's our father. A covenant relationship with God always draws a person into covenant with his people. God is always forming a people for himself. It's a necessary reminder in our hyper-individualist culture. So every time we pray our father, we're reminded that we're praying in unison, not only with our personal families, not only with our local church family, but we're praying in unison with God's people globally and throughout history. And then we come to the second word. He is our, not genie. He's not our boss. He's not our universe. He's our father. And what Jesus is hinting at here is that the foundation of prayer in Christ is for us to know that we're praying to one who loves us. We're praying to one who has good intentions to us and has, and welcomes us. We belong, and we belong to a father. And so here, here is the, the huge, world-shattering, metaphysical statement that this is making. Ultimate reality is a father who loves you and welcomes you into relationship. Amen. And it carries on. Who art in heaven, or who is in heaven I pray from a limited position into a a limitless reality that can touch every need. So we're praying to our father. We're praying from our, our sonship, our daughtership as limited, finite human beings, but praying into and towards our father who is limitless, to whom every possibility is open. And when we think of heaven, most of the time, I think we think of the, the, you know, the spiritual realm where God lives, where we'll spend eternity with him. And that is right, of course, but there's a, a double meaning in this, this word that Jesus chooses. It's actually a plural word. It's not heaven, but heavens, our father in the heavens which introduces a little bit more nuance to what Jesus is saying in here, because that word heavens in Greek can equally mean the dwelling place of God. It can mean outer space, or it can mean the air around us, the atmosphere. And it's interesting, just a few verses later in chapter six of Matthew, this is the same exact word that Jesus uses to describe the birds of the air. And in that case, he's not talking about the birds that are flying around the throne room of God. He's not talking about the birds flying around Saturn. He's talking about the regular everyday birds, right? And so scholars point out that that Jesus is actually, he's talking about the fact that our father in the heavens, he's not just way out there. He's all around you. He's here. He is the air that you're breathing Course, Paul quotes one of the old Greek philosophers when he says, In him we live and move and have our being. And he quotes it because it's accurate. Jesus saying, This heavenly Father, he is your Father, he's in heaven, he's limitless, but he's not far from you. He's right here, he's as close to you as the air in your lungs. And as we pray, what he's saying is heaven can touch earth. Heaven and earth begin to overlap. God's heaven has access to my earth, or I like the way Pastor Grubby puts it, uh, we can earth heaven through prayer. Make it touch down like a bolt of lightning. And so... In prayer, we're simultaneously addressing ourselves to the creator of the universe who is transcendent, who is is eternal and outside of space and time and for whom all things are possible. And yet we're also addressing the one who is as close to us as the air we breathe, who is right here, who's right at our side, who never leaves us or forsakes us, who's with us till the end of the age, as Jesus says. He's here. And so... It carries on, hallowed be thy name. All my prayers are filtered through his character and his attributes and his love. And this word hallowed, uh, we're most familiar with the, the King James language of this prayer, hallowed. It's, it's an ancient word for, for holy, something that is praiseworthy, set apart, something that's beautiful and special. And we talked about this last week, actually, as we, as we closed out our Sabbath practice, talking about holiness and the fact that God is delightful. He's set apart. He's unlike any other thing. He's unique in beauty, in glory, in majesty. And Psalm 16 says his presence is the fullness of joy. And Jesus sang every time we pray, We're stepping into that presence. The presence that is utterly unique and set apart and full of joy and beauty and love. He's holy. And so that's who he is. This is his character. Nothing gets past him. Nothing can threaten him. And so what that allows us to do is just drop the pretense. Drop the make-believe. Because God, his presence and his sight and his, his, his holiness penetrates everything. And it, it, it filters out just the, the nonsense that we sometimes bring. <laughs> and you know what also means in the, in the, in the, in the positive is that, it filters out our, our sinfulness, our imperfection as we bring our prayers to him. There's really no such thing as bad prayer in that sense. It's just bringing the reality of who we are, where we are, bringing it to him. And so it carries on, thy kingdom come. We apply the kingdom, the rule, and the reign of God so that it would touch any person or situation that's been laid upon our hearts. And so, as we're progressing through this, what we see is we're, when we're in his presence and we're known as and accepted uh, by a loving father and we experience his joy and his fellowship, the most natural thing in the world is for us to want that same joy, that same fellowship, to be applied to the areas of our lives and the areas of other lives where we know they're they're lacking, where that has not yet penetrated. His kingdom, I like Dallas Willard's definition, he says, the kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. In other words, it's anywhere where what God desires, his intentions are being carried out. And notice that Jesus assumes by what he says, that his kingdom has not yet come in the fullest sense of that term. So it it has come, and yet it's still coming. And there are areas of this world in our hearts and our lives and and the creation where his kingdom has not yet been established. In other words, God's will and intention is not yet being fully carried out. And so what happens is, we can pray and begin to apply his will, his kingdom to every area where it's not being carried out, beginning with our own hearts, but extending into our families, extending into our neighborhoods, extending into our nation and the globe. And as we do that, what's happening is we're partnering with God. We're bending reality towards his intention. And I like how John Mark Comer puts it, that it's dragging the future age of the kingdom of God into the here and now. And so it carries on, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can open myself to the insight of the will of God for each practical situation I face. So we're seeking God's wisdom, his will, his, what's good and perfect and pleasant, as Romans describes it. And at the same time, we're relinquishing our will. And one secular writer, Aldous Huxley, said that this, the third petition of the Lord's Prayer gets prayed by thousands and millions of people every day who have absolutely no intention of doing anything but their own will. <laughs> so we're relinquishing our will and saying, you know what? Dad, God, this is what I'm asking for, but ultimately you know best and I want what you want. Help me want what you want. (laughs) And notice that only then does Jesus begin to ask ask for things. All right, so the first half of this prayer is completely God-oriented. It's recognizing who he is, who I am, and, and it's recognizing that he knows best and yet all in the knowledge that he's a good father who loves me, who's near to me and has the power to do everything uh, that, that, that is possible. And so this is why we can begin to ask the next petition. He says, give us this day our daily bread. We can petition God for our needs and our desires and for an understanding of the difference between the two. And I love how it goes from this massive scale of your kingdom come, your will be done on the whole earth as it is in heaven. And then the next thing is, give us some bread for today, <laughs> right? It goes from this, you know, universal scale to the, the quotidian, the, the everyday, the, the basic necessities. Give us what we need for Today even as we pray for the globe, the creation itself to be transformed, give us today what we need. We're relying on you. And so I just, I I love that Jesus gives us permission. He even commands us, ask God about the little stuff. If you can't trust him for your hunk of bread today, you're probably gonna struggle to believe him for the big stuff. And so we can bring our material and small needs to him, you know, so you can pray about that parking space. (laughs) So then it goes on from our, it goes on from our material needs to our relational needs. Right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or forgive us our sins. Some translations say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So we can petition God for our relational needs. And, and the, the explanation here, I, this is a relational agreement with God as we pray this. It's a relational agreement with God that I'm forgiven to the extent that I offer forgiveness to those who've sinned against me. And as I think about this, I think (laughs) the single, probably the single greatest hindrance to our relationship with God, the single greatest hindrance to our prayers is bitterness and lack of forgiveness towards other people. As long as I refuse forgiveness to others, Jesus says it's pretty stark. It's actually a little bit, it's, it's, it's a bit of a warning that as long as I'm refusing forgiveness for other people, I'm refusing God's forgiveness for myself. And so the next line says, lead us not into temptation. And I read this as saying, you know, search my heart oh God. Search it to the extent that there's, there's nothing left to, to sift. I think Jesus is leading us to examine our own hearts here to ask as we're, as we're petitioning, as we're asking for forgiveness to to ask God, what's the state of my heart? What is the contents of my heart? And so the last request is deliver us from the evil one. Prayer is a place of warfare. And so having addressed God as father, having brought to him the massive needs that are well beyond us in the world, having brought to him our small and and personal material needs, having brought to him our relational needs, we end by recognizing that we need his power. We need his protection. And that we are not in a neutral spiritual environment. There is an enemy of our souls and we need God to protect us, to deliver us. And then we give it all to him in this closing doxology that says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this prayer concludes in worship. And I've kind of, I've kind of rushed through this a little bit and there's, there's so much more that we can and probably will say about the Lord's prayer in future weeks. But I just want to notice a couple things to direct our exercise this week. Notice that Jesus, when he teaches them to pray, he doesn't just say, whatever comes into your mind, just pray it. All right? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think the disciples were used to set prayers. They were used to written prayers. And so Jesus gives them a set prayer to get them into this this habit with God. He's tapping into the power of memorized prayer as a tool. And that's what they were used to. It's what most Jews and Christians throughout history have actually been used to. Now, in our stream of the church, we can kind of like grate against set prayers because we really value authenticity and the the extemporaneous experience of the Holy Spirit. And all of that, of course, is extremely valuable. But what I want to tell you is if you're struggling with prayer, if you want to go deeper in prayer, take this as a tool. All right? Because sometimes, if you're, if you're like me, you find yourself wanting to pray and then you're like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, if, if you speak more than one language and someone says to you, all right, well, say something. And you're like... Uh. I don't know what to say, right? Give me something to say and I will say it and, and, and carry on, right? And so <laughs> a lot of times what happens is even though we want to be extemporaneous in our prayers all the time, we can end up just as much regurgitating things that we've learned that don't have a lot of meaning because that's what we've learned. So you're just like, God, I just wanna, you know, I just, <laughs> and We're actually still using things that we've memorized. It's just that they're not in any particular order. And so Jesus says, pray this. And don't just recite it. Learn it and pray it. In other words, absorb the structure of it and let it lead you deeper into what it talks about. And the same can go for lots of other pre-made prayers. So this is going to be one of our exercises this week. And so I'll give you a couple examples of set prayers, okay? Number one, the Lord's Prayer. This is something that Christians, early Christians prayed three times a day. Secondly, the Psalms. This is the prayer book of the Bible, and Jews and Christians have used the Psalms as prayers. That's how most of them are written, actually, to be prayed, not only read. Thirdly, Scripture itself. If you have a a portion or a promise of Scripture that is just working on your heart, Pray it to God. Choose a a passage and and ingest it and pray it back to God. Singing. By the way, that's why we start all of our services with half an hour or so of singing. It's prayers set to music. That's how singing came into the church was that. Because it's a great way to all pray the same thing at the same time (laughs) and memorize it. Music has a tremendous power to help us memorize and ingest things. And so, sing a song to God. Many of the songs we sing are, are derived straight from Scripture. Liturgy. And Bob, would you pass me those books? I brought a, whole, I brought a bunch of books. I've been getting into this this past year, uh, especially, but some really good books of liturgy. There's old school ones like the Book of Common Prayer from the early 1600s, or actually mid-1500s, be Thou My Vision is a great new one. Common Prayer, a liturgy for ordinary radicals. And this is, this is currently my favorite right now, Every Moment Holy, which is set prayers for all sorts of everyday life situations, including, and there's morning, afternoon, and evening prayers in here that are rich. And there's, there's beautiful language, but what I love is that there's a structure to help deepen into certain areas of prayer. There's also, for those of us who are fully digital, there's lots of really helpful apps, believe it or not. Even though we just spent a month telling you to like, get off your phone and digitally Sabbath and all that stuff. There's actually, believe it or not, some really great apps. And I'll tell you as as a university student, it was the Bible app that the Lord used to help me for the first time in my life and it's lasted until today, develop a daily rhythm of prayer and Bible reading. So I'm a big fan of the the YouVersion Bible app for that reason, and I I recommend it. But there's other ones. There's there's the Daily Prayer app. There's Prayer 365 from the 24-7 Prayer Movement. So lots of different things, but there's a great value in set prayers because what they can do as you memorize, as you ingest, what happens is they can become on-ramps to this free-flowing highway of prayer. And especially a lot of us take the Lord's Prayer line by line, read, you know, recite it slowly, and stop after every line, and add in your praise, add in your petitions, add in your, your, your own words through this, this structure of prayer that's, that Jesus gave us. And so as we begin this this month of practicing prayer as a group, I want us to start with that same heart that the disciples asked, "Lord, teach us how to pray." Teach us how to pray. Ignite our prayer. And so I'll give you your exercises for this week. There's two of them. I already gave you one of them really, but the first one is create a daily rhythm of prayer. All right? So decide on a time. What's important is not what time of day it is, but something that you can consistently keep to. It's the, it's the consistency, it's the pattern that's most important. Decide on a time and even a place to pray. Some of us have like a special chair or a special place you go in the house and commit to it for a week, all right? And don't overreach. Don't think you're gonna be John Wesley waking up at four and praying for six hours every morning. You know, if you, if you don't have a habit, start with five minutes. If you do five minutes, go to 10, and so on, all right? Just take the next step. That's all it is. So wherever you are, take your next step. And then secondly, pick out a pre-made prayer and use it to help you talk to God, all right? So that could be the Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, Scripture, singing, liturgy, and phone apps, all right? And every week, I just want to mention this for some of us, you say, oh, that's, you know, I already have been doing that stuff. Well, if you want to go deeper, if, there's, if you need to go further and be challenged more with some of this stuff, there are reach exercises in the reflection guide for each week. So you can go look those up. But as we do this, spend time reflecting with your groups. And as we pray, remember, the goal is not to get really good at prayer. The goal is union with God. All right. So I want us to close if we can, Let, let's, let's, I'll, I'll close this in prayer, but I want us to sing the, 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 our father song that we sang there as a, as a closing. Cause I think it's, it's fitting. So <laughs> Lord Jesus, we're coming to you right now as we start these four weeks of a new group practice. Jesus, we're asking you, teach us how to pray. And we thank you for what you teach us in scripture. Lord, that we can come to you together as part of a family. And we come to our good heavenly father. Who's all powerful and yet he's right beside us all around us. So Lord, we bring to you the big things and the little things we humble ourselves before you, Lord God. We, we give forgiveness just as you've forgiven us. Lord, and we ask you for your protection and your deliverance from evil. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Meet us as we set apart this time to commune with our Father, to pray with him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC. NCAA-